0: What's up, HyperFast Nation? On this episode of the show, I've got an amazing guest who went from $0 as a new person in this country to multiple nine-figure levels of net worth. He's on his way to becoming a billionaire, coaches, speaks, and has helped thousands of people. He's done it primarily through real estate. Welcome to the show, JT Fox. Welcome to the show, JT. How are you doing today? Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to bring you to our listeners and and viewers. And I know you've got a great story to tell and and, uh, a great service that you you offer that we're going to, I'm sure, get into. But before we jump into that, why don't you give folks a little bit about your background and uh, how you got to where you are right now?
1: Well, I, um, I'm from Canada originally and about over 10 years ago, I moved from Canada to the United States with $974 after seeing one of those late night infomercial. I had a speech impediment my whole life, people said I would never make it. And I had it over 10 years ago with nothing and, and um, you know had uh, went down to negative 34,000, went to Chicago and trying to do real estate investing and basically 30 days from having to move out, I did my first deal, made uh, 74,000. My second deal made 147,000 and then I ended up doing 500 deals without using any of my own money, uh, I had other people's money. And and then I started a radio show that got offered a radio show that I self-syndicated across the uh, United States and Canada eventually. And then I started speaking um, all over the world and buying businesses, getting involved in everything. And so now I have well over 50 companies and brands. We're in 54 countries. We have clients in 104. And um, you know the pandemic forced to obviously change the business model a little bit uh, and continuously adapt. And I have a private equity now, which, uh, looking to turn into the, sort of the next Blackstone. So that is on my radar of things to do. So it's just a, an average guy trying to, trying to make ends meet.
0: Wow. What, I mean, I mean, what a, what a story and, and, uh, you, you tell it with a lot of humility and, um, I think it's, wow. tell it so many times. I think yeah. it's so many times
1: after a while, it's just like, I want a new story. Like I left out the part I made my first million at 24, my second million at 25 and my first 10 million at 28. And I was nine zeros uh, when I was in my thirties. So, uh, you know, after a while, you tell your story so many times uh, that you're always like more concerned about like what are other people doing? Like what's the audience doing and how do you get them unstuck? And then you meet people that are very successful and because they're not on stage or they don't have the opportunity to be on a podcast like this, they're so excited about telling their story, right? Because they're like, I've never done it before. Uh, but after you tell you, I, I once asked Rod Stewart, I was like, how many times you send Maggie mate?" He goes, tens of thousands of times. And I'm like, well, how, how do you, like, I said, uh, how do you do it, mate? He goes, I said, how do you like do that? You know, saying same, same thing over, he goes, lots of drugs, mate, lots of drugs. <laughs> so I, I, I never forgot that. I don't do that, but uh, you know, after a while, maybe I'll make up a new like story. I was like, I'm in a cardboard box, living under a bridge against all odds. I, you know, I put stuff on eBay. Um, yeah, I don't know. So uh, maybe I'll change up my story next time.
0: Well, maybe that's what motivates you to keep on, you know, hitting the new heights is that your story isn't done and, and you're still writing it. What, uh, when you look back now, what was harder like, like getting the initial start and going from like zero to a million or, or oh, going no, from I'm a million to thousand 10 thousand. or for or 10 to, you know, a hundred. The hardest deal is your first deal
1: yeah. or your first client. The second hardest is your first 100,000 in the bank. The third hardest is your first million. The easiest is your second million. I find it easier to make 10 million than it was my first deal. A lot of it has to do with mindset, confidence. Like everyone tells you you can't do it. And after a while, you just know your capabilities, right? It's like Michael Jordan, right? I've been watching The Last Dance. Like, you know that he's gonna make that shot. You just have done that shot so many times. I'm gonna take that shot. I'm gonna make that shot. I've done that shot. So it becomes natural. I mean, I don't know how many podcast interviews you've done, you had a lot but I, I don't think you had any butterflies before getting on because you've done it many times. And that's kind of the first level of success is competence. Anything you do for the first time is nerve wracking, whether it's your first business, your first deal, uh, your first date, your first marriage. But after five deals, you're not nervous. After you know, jumping out of an airplane for five times, you're not nervous. After your fifth marriage, you're not nervous. You kind of know what to expect in the first <laughs> four. So the, the more you do something, the more competent, the more confidence you're going to be. And once you're confident, that's when success comes. You will never become successful unless you're confident about your marketing, your branding, your your skills or whatever it is. And the reason you you push yourself is to become successful, you have to be uncomfortable. And people often forget that, is they get to a zone of comfort when they lead to success. And it's really hard to go from comfort to like getting uncomfortable again. And that's why you have to keep finding the enemy or you have to find the enemy within, or you have to keep challenging yourself. Because the worst thing that can happen for a fighter or for an entrepreneur or anyone is to start becoming too comfortable. You saw it with Anthony Joshua, he got knocked out. You saw with Conor McGregor losing his last fight as well. You know, you lose that edge because yeah, you're still training, you're still working out but you're you're fighting against a guy who's broke, got no money and knows that beating you is gonna be the greatest thing that's gonna happen in his life. So that guy's probably training 10 times harder uh, because you know, McGregor's got a yacht. McGregor's got all the cars. Now, it would be very interesting to see how he bounces back, you know? And I think losing sucks. I mean, it really does. Like winning goes away after five minutes, but losing, it, it bothers you until you win again, unless he has the mentality of, man, eh, who cares? You know, I just sold my liquor company for a hundred million dollars. You know, So I don't really care. Um, I think, I think a- most
0: people have loss aversion Right, and they've they studied this in investing, and I, th- I think it would apply in those same situations. Like the man, the the the, the fear of loss, the feeling of it, is it's just so much greater than than the opposite, uh, you know, in magnitude for for many many people. What do you think is key though for for guys who are at the top? You know, we we got listeners on this show that have just started out. We got others who are big time real estate agents, investors. Um, so let's say they're winning at. At a level, you know, making multiple six figures, maybe even low seven figures. How do they? How do they stay uncomfortable so that they can keep growing? I mean,
1: here's the thing: Let's say you're an agent that makes seven figures, and that's actually very low in the scheme of things. But let's call it seven, seven figures. Like, you don't build wealth being an agent. I mean, it's called it what it is. Like, you're you're the hardest working person, and people don't respect you because nobody respects the middleman. Right. I mean, how many times your clients are like, Oh my God, I mean, do an open house or the flyers or, or, you know, they start calling yelling at you because some asshole puts an offer on your house, a low ball, which had nothing to do with it. You're just by law, you have to report wealth equals control. You know, the market, like if agents were getting paid a thousand dollars a week and they were afraid like of like, and a thousand dollars a week and commission, I would get it, but it's 100% commission. It's like do or die. So you already have that mentality. Why in the world wouldn't you be a real estate investor? Like I, 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 I'm I, always like less than 3% of agents do that. Like, you know, the market.
0: Is the number know- that the number is that low? Three, 3% or, or less? That's wow. That's what I'm told. i mean, you know, All numbers <laughs> are
1: made up, but, but yeah, it's really low. So, you know, yeah, you can better yourself, but I think with the work ethic they have, because I, I believe, and I know I said this before, I think real estate agents, some of them, not all of them, but the top performers are the hardest working people on. They're always on, they're always putting offers, they're always doing that, but I don't know, man, it's just, just, and by the way, the problem, you die, your business dies, right? You're not building wealth, right? You're like working your way to millions and you're taxed at a huge earned income. So like, rather than making your clients wealthy, make yourself wealthy, that's just my thing. But the problem is that once you get to a point where you're making seven figures or mid six figures or even 250, that's a lot of money it's hard for people to stop because in the mind, they're like, well, I'm already doing this. So it's kind of people who say one day I'll do it, but then they end up performing at what they're doing and it's too hard to let it go. And they're not willing to take two steps back to take 10 forward. And that's the point. You may make less for the first next couple of years. So instead of half a million, you make 250, you make 200. But then one day you'll make $2 million You know, a year or in deals or build wealth. So that's a decision because they already have the work ethic. You know, It's almost the same. I, I, I what I I mean, I have over 50 companies and brands now, but you know what what the agents do and what the investors do, I don't see that much difference. It all comes down to risk.
0: Right. And well, well, for- with a guy, a guy like you running multiple companies, I'm sure just because you start a new venture, that doesn't mean the other ones decrease. Maybe maybe they uh don't grow as much maybe they grow more even but you know why can't the agent or or why do you think agents don't go out there and be like all right i'm going to systemize this business that makes four or five hundred and then i'm going to like build up the investment part at the same time
1: Well, well yeah because here but here's the problem the investor wants you to be on this all the time especially if they're giving millions of dollars and if you're selling multi-million dollar homes and you say let me pass you to my team right people don't like that right they want a deal so the problem is that. The agent is a very agent-driven business. Yes, you can have a a team member, but people are expecting to you. And if you're good at what you do, which I imagine a lot of people are here, it gets overwhelming and busy. I mean, you got 10, 20 listings at the same time. Then you got to get new deals to fill the pipeline. Then you're dealing with like all kinds of, you're dealing with personalities. It's not like cut and dry. So it's really hard to do both because if they did, they would, right? And so I think you kind of go with, okay, I can do an investment, I have the risk and it takes a longer time, or I can just take the money up front, or like take the money now. So it's really hard for people, most people, and then you add on top of that, okay, you're not single, you got a family, you got kids. So you're already working your ass off. And then you're adding another investing part, that's another a lot of work as well. So um, it depends the choices that people make as well. But it's very hard. That's why so many, you know, people don't do both. Because it's very, very hard. And, the problem is that when you bring a deal and you want to partner with somebody, you know what they're going to say to you? Well, just get the commission, because that's how they view you. Just like in real estate, the idea of wholesaling. Let me take a deal and wholesale it to someone, make thirty-four thousand dollars. Let's say $5,000. Once you're a wholesaler, always a wholesaler. Because then, if you go back to that same person that want to partner with you, their psychological thing is, well, no, you're you're you know you're you're a wholesaler. Just well, oh, you, you, a- you just you just
0: got to control the deal and not give them an option. Like if you've got it. <laughs> you know, under control. And, and it's, if it's good enough, yeah, right. If it's that's good that's enough, you, if it's good enough, you'll find the, the partner, you'll find the money. So it's it all, I think it all boils down to like how good you are at finding the deals. Like, wouldn't you agree with that?
1: Well, I mean, you're agent. You're on properties and you talk to agents all day long. I mean, a lot of the great deals I have is from agents, right? So it, when they, and then if you're an agent and you already know everybody, when the deals come to you first,
0: how, how was it, uh, Starting out, let's let's dive into that a little bit. Like you, right. living on office couch, eating ramen noodles.
1: I was a lowball king. I, I was the guy that that the agents hated, where I'd put like a thousand offers a week at lowball in high net worth areas, which was stupid because I didn't know the way. Uh, looking back, that was not the right strategy, um, and, and and I caused a lot of aggravation to the agents who would then have to submit this lowball offer because there's no motivation. Right? How
0: did you but get to that matter? first deal as, as a guy from uh, you know out of the country with not much money in your pocket like how you how'd you find I the deal and
1: convince people to
2: work I with you? Out
1: um, I sent a mailer I sent on a mailer and someone responded back and they were in foreclosure um, and that was my my first deal but funny enough my, my I sent 10 letters and I got one call and that was the crazy thing like that's like 10 I mean the odds of that happening is like it just I was very lucky. That's a good,
0: um, uh, good percentage,
1: good ratio. Yeah, I think that was more luck than anything, yeah. uh, you know, because I was like, well, you know, I don't want to spend too much money, which was naive. And then once that worked, we just started spending more and more money on marketing because we were getting a great response. I mean, the highest response I ever got on a campaign was like 52%, which is insane when the average direct mail is one to 3%, but the marketing was so different. I remember I took, cause I would ask the clients, like, tell me all the foreclosure letters you get. And I got, I take all their marketing and I put them on the floor, like literally spread them on the floor. And then I would put mine and I said, does mine stand out, And because what I did is was like a letter that turned into a giant poster. And that was just really cool to see. You know what I mean? So.
0: What, um what was the first deal you did? Was it a rehab, a flip? All, uh, a
1: single family, yeah. single family home that I just flipped to somebody else and just put on the contract and, what was back in the day double closing which you can't do anymore because of title seasonings and things like that um where you would take money from like you're you're two closing at the same time so you have closing in one room the seller is uh, in in the c room you basically take the money from the second to close the first now you can't do that because there was a lot of mortgage fraud that happened because of that so that's why i've said when people say if you had to do it again would you do the exact same way and the answer is no i mean i use certain things like work ethic and and a lot of the core fundamentals, but you can't do it that way. I actually think it's a thousand times easier to make money today. It's more competitive, but it's a lot easier. If you got the drive, the work ethic, the persistence, the attitude, if you're coachable, if you're loyal, you can dominate because everything's on social media now, right? Everything is online. Like back in the day, like, you know, you you just had to go old school. Like you have to go knock on doors or Um, even filling events. I mean, if you're in the event industry now, you could just do social media campaign before you had to advertise on radio and newspaper, which was so much more expensive. So the game has changed, it's getting easier and easier, but we've become a generation where people just sit on their ass and expect that something is gonna be given to them. Like I'm gonna be an agent, I'm gonna get listings. Like just take you for example, agents, like some of the agents there, they were in the office, right? Taking floor leads, which are not the best leads, right? They are like, hey, can I help? They're sitting on open houses from other people to get clients, right? But some people just expect because they're agents, people are gonna to come to them as well. And so there are people listening to you, they know what it takes to succeed. They know the pain, they know the suffering. So, um, and so they really work their ass up. Work ethic eliminates fear. And, and, but they will never beat you until you quit. And too many people quit too soon. I mean, say, look at the numbers. I mean, 10% of the agents bring 90% of the business. Right? And the average agent makes like less than $20,000 a year. That's cause there's a lot of part-timers, you know, they have a license and they're like, oh, because a barrier to entry is so low to be an agent. You take a test and you pay your fee and you hang up your, your brokerage license. Um, but those that are succeed that watch it, they got the fire, right? They got the fire and they have what it takes. They have the fire in the belly. And that's something you can't put inside and then you can't put out. You either got it. Hey, hold that
2: thought. Do you want to get a hundred tips for free from my best selling real estate book, The Hyper Local, Hyper Fast Real Estate Agent. If you do, go to hyperfasttips.com and you can download 100 of my best tips today. Again, that's hyperfasttips.com. You can download 100 tips on how to grow your business, get more clients, deliver more value to more people. Go to hyperfasttips.com.
0: What would you do differently um, in terms of scaling. So, so how did you scale your business when you started? And you know, if you were, if you were doing it over again, what would you do differently in the scaling part of it?
1: I, I actually, I mean, listen, I, I got a coach from day one. A lot of people tried to do it themselves. You're only as good as your coach. I I've recorded every single one of my coaching sessions. Everything I'm telling you here is actually recorded. I've spent over 3 million in coaching. They can go to millionaire flicks above and you can actually listen. My first coaching session was broken. No money to the one I did a few days ago. Um, everything I've ever done, I've recorded every mistake. Now people say, well, why would I listen to your coaching session? Because I make the same mistakes. Fear, procrastination, time management, excuses, hiring, firing, um, you know, scaling. So would I do anything differently? I probably got more coaches, right? Not just one, I, I would've got a lot more because to me, tell me what to do, right? If I tell you do this, do this, do this, and you do that, then it's gonna work. Too many people mistake have this notion as well, like, it's like golf, right? You want to be a professional golfer. And your notion is, I'm going to read every book there is about it. I'm going to watch every YouTube videos. And then I'm going to go to the practice range. And when I win a tournament, then I'll get, with the earnings, I'll then get a coach. But you're never going to win. So it's insane for you to think. See, the difference between six figures scaling and seven, eight, nine, ten figures, six, five and six figures, how much does it cost? Anybody can make six figures by working their ass off. Anybody. Right? Anybody. I don't care who you are. Right? Agreed. But seven, eight, nine, how much is it going to make me? So, when you hire somebody, how much are they going to make me? When you get a coaching, how much are they going to make me? Uh, When I invest in this marketing, how much are they going to make me? Rather than a scarcity model of, you know, I'm going to wait for it to happen or when I get it, then I'm going to do it. And that's based on fear. And fear is a choice false evidence appearing real. People have a fear of losing money, they have a fear of making mistakes. So they try to do it all themselves, and that's why they scale. And they say, when I make money, then I'll be able to delegate, but you never make enough money to delegate, so you're stuck in a rat race.
0: Why, why do you think people, uh, especially agents, uh, get stuck in that, that six figure and, and don't really try to push to go to the seven, eight, or, 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 or do it? They're not
1: willing to spend their way to it. That's Unfortunately, when you get that level, is marketing, right? And then having a team, and I'm not talking about team agents, maybe just like just taking a look at who are the, what are the tools do I need to make the sec, seven figures? Most people don't look at that, right? I think also too, I think a lot of people in the agent industry, sometimes they'll look at within their industry. I look at outside my industry because something as common as dirt in one industry can have the effect of an atom bomb in another industry. So I, I take a look at people, like for example, I've studied Starbucks, I've studied Disney, I've studied um, Ritz-Carlton. Uh, I've studied Apple, I've studied Google, I've studied Amazon. Let me say, why that? Because the way they're customer obsessed or the way they come up with things or the experience or you know, or even Disney, right? You're in the experience business, right? The wow factor. You know, I have a client that that basically, interestingly enough, like every time he closes, he gives his clients a big gift, something to remember them. And, you know, most people don't do that, right? So he gets to remember, they don't, they'll, they'll, someone will fill their groceries, which is okay. But after they're done eating, you're done. He gives something that every they can use and see every single day. Um, because out of sight, out of mind. It's not what you say. It's how you make your clients feel. So what are you doing that other agents are not doing? That's a fundamental difference. Most people do the same thing and expect a different result. And that's insanity.
0: Yeah, or, or they do the same thing and, and do it better. And that'll get you incrementally more dollars, but not not exponential more dollars. Yeah. Who, who have been the biggest coaches and mentors that you've had along the way that, that you can share with us?
1: Well, one is George Ross, obviously celebrity apprentice judge. He's 93 years old, still in my life. Been with me for 10 years. And one, one Hugh Hilton, which needs no introduction, it's a big name in the real estate world. Um, other one is I've got a Tycoon Tycoon X. I don't give his name out because um, he doesn't want to be known like in that capacity. Um, and, um, and interestingly enough, he has a huge network, probably the most intimidating guy that I've ever heard. And the way he talks was actually people get to listen. If they go to Mr. TycoonX.com, Mr. TycoonX.com, and you hear how he talks, it, it's like, you think I'm intimidating? That guy is like the most intimidating person. Uh, and then I have uh, Mike Slade, who was a uh, best friends with uh, uh, Steve Jobs, was best friends with his best friends with Gates right now, worked at Apple, worked at Microsoft, worked at Next Computer. I love asking him questions about how Jobs thinks and Gates thinks and, and I remember when it was the beginning of the pandemic in April, right? Everybody's freaking out, market's at 18,000. And I said to him, what would um, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates do right now? He said they would double down and I didn't do that. I, 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 I didn't double down, I won down. And if I had doubled down, I probably would have made hundred times more money than I did. And I've made a lot of money, but I played it too safe. And that's why Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and, and their legacy is who they are, where they are, because I was like, there was so much uncertainty. What I mean, uh, if I would, have, if you would have come at the beginning of the pandemic, the real estate market's going to be the highest ever been, stocks are going to blow up, but we're still wearing masks and we're still not open. That people would spend on NFTs, like you know, I mean, that crypto would be where it's at today. You would have said, no way. Like the market is right now is everybody's at the craft table and whatever you throw dices, everybody's winning, nobody's losing. But here's the problem. In the end, the house always wins. So there's a lot of people like money like me, we're investing, but in the back of our mind, we're like very conservative because it just doesn't make sense. The economics of everything doesn't make sense. So a lot of agents right now, the market's not gonna be hot. What's your plan B?
0: What do you, what do you think's gonna be the first leg to, to fall? Probably the stuff that like yeah. Real estate takes
1: about a year before it comes around, right? Because of delays and foreclosures and everything. Um, I think there's going to be a boom. People want to get out. People want to travel. People want to spend money, right? So I think there's going to be a boom. I don't think we're going to see a recession or some downturn anytime soon, but, um, but 18 months or less, or maybe at the end of the quarter, think about it, right? People spend all their money in the summer. They went out. Right, they're realizing, okay, we're back to normal. The revenues are not as high as their valuation, and you might see some profit taken. Also, too, with taxes potentially going up, um, you might see a fourth quarter that might be a little bumpy because, a, take my money now, my taxes, right? So there's a lot of there's a lot of implications that could be uh, held, and it's all going to depend it plays out. But again, I'm purely speculating. Nobody knows. Anybody's going to sit here and tell you what's going to happen? It's not. But yeah, I'm I agree.
0: With, I, I agree with you on that. It's 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 fairly speculative uh, to, to predict. Uh, what about all the, the, the stimulus money and, and just money printing that we've done and, and injected into the economy? How, how do you think that's going to play out long, long term?
1: You know, the U.S. government is still very powerful. I think the biggest threat to the U.S. economy is China. Um, and so, obviously, by 2026, if China becomes a bigger superpower than America in terms of production, GDP, and currency, you know, will I think that the world will will back their money to the China, you know, rather than the U.S. dollars? I don't know. At some point, someone's going to try to regulate cryptocurrency. You kind of have to, um, because obviously, governments are not going to let that unregulated. So, I think there's been bigger fish to fry to that as well. Will it come back down because of that? Again. nobody knows. So that's why it's very important in business that you also hedge bets. Right. You never go all in. You got to hedge bets. Right. And so sometimes that bet's going to go up, but I I have a downside just in case. So it's a crazy thought process when it comes down to that.
0: What are you doing right now? Like where are you investing? How are you growing? And, And then what are you doing to, um, to mitigate the risk that you think might be out. I mean, I have money in everything.
1: Like when you have as many companies as I do, I I pretty much have money in everything. So uh, I'm very well diversified, doing tons of real estate. Um, I'm involved in crypto. I'm involved in, um, you know, all kinds of uh, apps and uh, technology plays and like, you name it. Like I, it's so crazy when I take a look at my portfolio of things and kind of at this point, you know, everything is making money. And then something big is going to pop and then I'll triple down on that. It's kind of how really I take a look at it as well. Um, I invest a lot of movies, first money in, first money out. So there's such a backlog right now in movies. Like I just invested in Bruce Willis's movie. I invested in De Niro's movie. I invested in Jared Butler's movie, but it's not the whole movie. Like I'm not a guy who's going to wait till the end. I'm a guy, I'm coming in, I'm your first money. Uh, And I make a lot of money doing that as well. Um, You know, I also am... Lending money, and if they can't pay me, I take over the company, but at an extremely high interest rates. Like, you can get like I think we have a deal that we're about to finalize in the cannabis space, ten um, percent a month. Wow! Like, <laughs> yeah, that's like two million. So think about two million dollar loan, ten um, percent a month, right? I mean, that's two hundred thousand dollars paid every month. And by the way, the margins are there. And it's cross-collateralized by all their assets, which I know that if it doesn't work, I don't get paid back, I'm covered. But they need it because because of the, the industry there and in, they can't get loans, right? And they really wanna make a play and they, and they get that dispensary, they wanna buy it, such a great deal. But if it doesn't work out, I take over the other two dis- dispensaries and I take over the third one. So I own three dispensaries.
0: Yeah, That's and right. it, I mean, it looks like too that regulation, legalization, all of that is heading in a direction that would, would only help you know, guys like you. Oh, yeah, on mm-hmm. one hand, yes.
1: But on the other hand, you have Biden, who basically, the administration, who got rid of people that smoke marijuana. So that's kind of contrary to like, we're not going to criminalize it. But then people that are on the White House staff, if you did it, then they're just kicking you out. So I mixed messages. Who knows what people think these days? You know, people blow with the wind.
0: Yeah, no, that is odd because that's you saw that on the one hand. then on the other hand, um, you know, his own party is working on a bill in Congress that would be complete federal legalization right now. So, uh, you know, what would your message be to the person out there who's, you know, maybe at the six or seven figure level, what should they be doing right now to to grow and expand?
1: Well, you got to figure out how much money you want to make, right? So let's say, hypothetically, you drive from point A to point B. And let's say you have a Tesla right now right? And you say, okay, this Tesla will get me 350 uh, miles, right? But I want to get to a thousand miles and there's no charging station. It doesn't matter how much you like the Tesla, how fast the Tesla is. If it doesn't get you to a thousand, you need to say, okay, maybe I need a BMW IW. Maybe I need power and gas. Okay. Or maybe this is not the right opportunity yet until they have charging stations as well. So you always start with the end result and you figure out in or- doing what I'm doing, is that going to get me there? And if it's not, then you need to find something else or do something else. But you need to have that wishful thinking, well, I'm gonna do that and then I'm gonna, so you need to have a plan. If you don't have a plan, you plan on failing.
2: Hey, hold that thought for a minute. Do you wanna take your real estate business to the next level? If you do, there's no reason to go it alone learn from people who've been where you want to go Carrie and i have sold billions of dollars in real estate we've netted over seven figures for seven years in a row now and we want to see if you would be a good fit to work for us we don't work with a lot of people but we want to give you a chance to get on a free strategy call to see if we can help you get your business to the next level go to hyperfastcoach.com and apply for your discovery session today again that's hyperfastcoach.com
0: and how uh, do you, do you offer services or, or help people that are, you know,
1: Well, I mean, wanting I to get there. Like, I'm the highest paid business coach in the world. I'm the world's number one wealth and business coach on the planet. And probably the people here, I don't think it they can afford me or not, but I, I would rather just give it for free. Um, if you go to my Instagram, there's a link. And once a week, I take a group of people one-on-one, and I go through them and I say, what do you do? And how can I help you? And so um, I, I, found a lot of great businesses. I found a lot of great partnership like that. Uh, and that's one thing I did during the pandemic that I'm happy I did. Cause I reconnected with people that like, normally you just connect with people that can afford you. Right. That's just a right. natural progression. So I do that once a week. I did it like every day for like 60, and what seconds.
0: do you, do you go live on Instagram or how does, how does that work? How do yeah, you, well, do I know, but no, they just click, this is
1: like, take like a live zoom. I do, zoom okay. I do, um, you know, Instagram, we do live. So if people want it, they can add me and, and they can go to my Instagram. There's a link there. It's absolutely free. I'm not selling you my one-on-one there. I just basically get, get you the knowledge, get to know you as well. Um, and also too, um, when I was on stages before the pandemic, I, I would sell my program up to five thousand dollars in 90 minutes, right? Um, and during the pandemic, I decided to offer all 58 of my courses, everything I do, every coaching I've ever had for twenty dollars. So if they go to Millionaire Flicks um, for twenty dollars, and then I also have weekly group coaching. And for that is only 90, $97. So like, I, I, to me, the money is now made on the deals, right? I'm just really good at coaching. I mean, I could look at someone and tell if they're going to succeed or not. I could tell them what their problem is. I could tell if they're left brain, right brain, if they procrastinate, if they're not focused. Um, I could tell if they have excuses. Um, and, you know, there's a course on Millionaire Flicks about how to read body language. I'm eight moves ahead. I literally think eight moves ahead at all the time. I always do the end result. I don't look at where it is in front of me. I look at where it's going to be. Right? Same thing when Marine Gretzky is not where the puck is, where the puck is going to be. So I'm really look at looking where the puck is going to be. Because if it's right there, I'm already too late.
0: Did you play hockey growing up
1: in Canada? No, it was the only game. No. My parents didn't want to wake up <laughs> at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. to get my skates and leagues and stuff like that. So we stuck to soccer uh, soccer
0: and that uh, baseball So yeah the um, rink yeah. the rink time is tough in that sport <laughs> you got to get up early Well,
1: you know there's really early in commitments and i don't know why to be honest with you. I, think, I think it's just because it was expensive sports and we didn't have much money you know hockey equipment could be very expensive right or they didn't like the smell of the hockey bags or the lucky rooms. i don't know but yeah it's very interesting and i was like tall and lanky so um yeah so it's interesting to see um yeah but i was probably the only canadian who did um and I, 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 you know and i like going to hockey games growing up but I, when i lived in chicago Like I stopped and then started going to Chicago Blackhawk games sometimes. And when we used to actually go places uh, and the energy there was just like the Blackhawks, like just, you could tell the energy the the big regret I have though, I wish I lived in Chicago during the bulls era because I've been watching the last dance. And for me, I find it so inspiring and motivated and uh, seeing how Michael Jordan uh, and I've been studying him for a long time. I liked him a long time. Um, you know, the two people that I admire the most that I look up to is Tom Brady and uh, Michael Jordan. In the yeah, I mean, he,
0: and they're both, uh, they're both competitors, like in everything you you do. I don't know if you saw all over yeah. the summer, you know, Jordan's a big fisherman and his, his boat pulled in like a, almost a 500 pound marlin in some tournament. And uh, he was upset because they came in second.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that, but that's his thing too. Like, like, same thing as an agent, you either get the listing or you don't, someone is going to take your business. So like, you have to, you have to fight for everything and you can't, you can't be complacent because there's always someone behind you. A number one that wants it more than you, but is willing to give the stupidest concessions. Like I'll lower my commissions. I'll give you this like, and so you're fighting against all kinds of idiots before who are, who are trying to take shortcuts.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think, um, you know, if you study any of the great ones, like the people that are like the greatest of the great, they they all just have this competitive desire that it really just, it doesn't matter where they are. They just, they just can't turn it off. You know, most of them, I think it's there. It's like, it's part of who I they do. are. Well, before we wrap up, I always like to do a hyper fast round. If you're ready for some rapid fire questions and answers. Sure. All right, what's your biggest piece of advice today to a new real estate investor?
1: Work ethic eliminates fear. If you outwork them, they can't beat you. So the more people you talk to, the more calls you make, the more follow-ups you make as well. Don't wait for it to come to them, pick up the phone and call until your fingers hurt.
0: What would your biggest piece of advice to an experienced real estate investor be?
1: Um, You're only as good as the people that you surround yourself with. And um, uh, stop thinking short-term, start thinking long-term. Cause he was like, if you do what you're doing in 15, 20 years, you probably won't like it because at the end of the day, you won't feel like you're grow, won't challenge you anymore. And don't get stuck into the agent rat race.
0: What is uh, the toughest business challenge you've ever had and how did you overcome it or, or what lesson did you learn from it?
1: I mean, I, I you know, obviously for my age it was a big issue. And, and I think now I guess the business challenges, I'm very intimidating I'm very BS. I'm straightforward to the point. And people get easily intimidated and they know that if they go against me, they're probably losing the negotiation because I'm so good at it. I see what, like I visually see, I read body language. I know what people are going to happen as well. So sometimes people either bring their best A game or they avoid it, uh, which makes it a challenge as well. Um, But I think the biggest challenge is myself at this point for me is to like, how do I stay motivated? Because it's hard. You've been in one location. I used to be like in a different country, different city every day. So for the last 15 months, I haven't gone anywhere. And so you're like, you know, actually for the last 13 months, I've gone anywhere. So, um, and so it's, you know, you're all zoomed out, you know, there's that human element, that people, that energy, the enemy, the competition, the drive. Um, So, you know, I need to find that back.
0: If you had to start over right now and you couldn't take any of your money, you couldn't take any of your connections, all you had was what you've learned along the way, what would you do?
1: Real estate investing all over again. I did it the first time. I'll do it again. All it requires is persistence. I and mean, I could be an agent. I'd be really good at it. Um, but I put the exact same efforts. And why make five hundred thousand, a million dollars when I can make ten million dollars?
0: All right. Well, what what would we find you doing when you're not investing in real estate, putting deals together? You know, working. What would you, what would you be doing? I mean, I,
1: to me, I'm always on 24 seven. And so the good thing is you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Like for example, right after this, I've got two calls, but they're not like, they're calls with strategic calls. So I'll be walking and talking at the same time, taking off my suit, go walk outside. Like. And so um, I love kind of reading and watching things that are gonna make me better. So if it makes me better, I will do it. Um, and so now I'm gonna start doing a little bit more golf which is interesting because my coach was like, because I live in a really big house, but I also live in a country club, but I didn't sign up for it because I just moved. And I'm like, I don't know, 15 grand, which is nothing in comparison, because we're like, people pay 100 grand, 150 grand. And I'm like, I don't know. Like the idea of playing golf when we're in a middle, like a pandemic, it's slow. And my coach's like, what are you talking about? How many people are you going to be able to meet JT? I'm like, I don't know, excuses, right? So he calls me up like last week. He goes, did you do it yet? I'm like, "I I was gonna wait. Weather is starting to get nice. He goes, I want you to go sign up today. So I'm like, fine. I go to the country club, I sign up. And a uh, guy comes by and the guy introduces me. Hey, so-and-so is a, um, um, a member, new member, and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, what do you do? He goes, I own 36 McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> like, you see what I mean? Like the first guy and then stupid, narrow-minded. You know what I mean? That's the type of people. So penny wise, dollar foolish. And I created my own excuses. Right? Uh, You know what I mean? So we create our own bullshit to justify why we don't do things. If you haven't succeeded at first, try doing what your coach told you to do the first time.
0: (laughs) It's uh, often the case. Uh, Last question. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now?
1: I'll probably definitely be a billionaire. I don't doubt that as well on my way there. And then I'll probably give it away to charity and people say, what are you gonna do next? Just make another one. So the thing is, when people say, what's your five-year plan, a 10-year plan, you know what I say? There's no such thing as a five-year or 10-year plan. Could we have predicted a pandemic? I didn't even know that I was going to be on your show until I woke up this morning. Like it was on my schedule. I had no idea, right? So you don't know. So that's why I only say one year at a time because you can more or less control one year. But I don't know what's going to happen. What's going to happen with the technology? What's going to happen with the world? You know, is there going to be another pandemic? I don't know. Like what, what's going to be? Like, I don't know. We got flying cars, you know, as real estate, the way it's done, it will be different. I don't know. All I know is that I control what's in front of me in the next year. And then as long as I put my head down and I keep pushing and I keep saying yes, opportunities will go out right there. So believe it or not, I have no idea what I'm going to be in 10 years. Because if you ask me where I was now here, right here, that I'd be at home 14 months, not going anywhere, right? Add a lot more companies, not be on a stage in front of five, 10,000 people, I would be like, you're crazy, but that's what happened.
0: All right. Well, that's great advice. Thank you so much, JT. Before we sign off, if people want to connect with you or learn more about what you do, how should they I do that? I-
1: like I said, if you want some free mentoring, click on the link there as well. I'll mentor you for free um that's million,
0: millionaireflix.com. Millionaire. i see that's the the link yeah, that's up. different millionaireflix.com okay. is just where you get all my programs for twenty dollars and
1: if they okay code, they, yeah it's just you know it's twenty dollars you need a loan we'll, we'll spot you
0: all right well thank you for being on the show everyone thank you for tuning in make sure you connect with jt what an amazing uh, time that was, and, and some really, really great uh, content and inspiration, and just you know, story of a guy who went from zero to multiple nine figures. Thank you so much. Uh, remember to hit that like button, share this with other people you think can benefit. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out. We'll see you next time